Father, we thank you for gifting people with voices and minds to write songs that we can sing back to you and give you pleasure. The fact that we can please you is just beyond our ability to understand, beyond human reason and intellect. We thank you for your love that you've shown us, for calling us into a personal relationship with you. Now may you be exalted this morning as you speak, hopefully through me and through your word, as we open our Bibles this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to begin by talking about what I call the controversy. In a chapter entitled The Viable Ministries of Women in the Context of Male Leadership in the book Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, it was that 1993 Christianity Today Book of the Year, Thomas Schreiner wrote this. This chapter focuses on the viable ministries of women in scriptures. This is a crucial topic for three reasons. First, men have often hurt women. They have treated them as lesser citizens of the kingdom, and some men have denigrated or overlooked their contribution in ministry. Examination of the scriptures will show that women have played a vital role in ministry. One reason for the current feminist movement although not the only one, is that some women are responding to men who have oppressed them and treated them poorly. That was written in 1993, and I would say that still is true today. In fact, one example of this happened not long ago. On Mother's Day 2019, Beth Moore preached at her Southern Baptist Convention church on Mother's Day. Uh, This was too much for some in the SBC since, as you may recall, from last week's sermon, the Southern Baptist Convention holds to a complementarian position. A position that leadership positions in the church and teaching preaching are reserved for men. In 2019, a few months later, John MacArthur was asked to give a one to two word summary of the prominent Bible teacher, Beth Moore. His answer was, does anyone know? Go home. Now, whether or not, and I, 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 I like John MacArthur, I, whatever tone he used in that, well, I've seen the tone. Whether it was a good tone or not, go home was a little harsh. Laughter and stunned oohs and ahs and then silence filled the room. Unfortunately, it gets worse. Another pastor, uh, Phil T- Johnson, who's on staff at Grace Church, uh, also on this panel, was asked the same question about Beth Moore, and he said the one word that came to mind was narcissistic about Beth Moore. He went on to say that this is what it looks like to preach self rather than Christ. Now, Beth Moore was raised in the Southern Baptist Convention. She attended, to my knowledge, uh, SBC churches her entire life, and she would be a conservative Bible teacher. How many of you have, have done Beth Moore studies before? Okay. Is there anything controversial or way liberal in her studies? No, pretty conservative, right? Um, Now, she she later tweeted this. 
After a certain public mockery at a pastor's conference, I was literally heartsick for the ones who had done it. I thought how miserable they must be for having ridiculed a sister in Christ publicly like that. This woman, Beth Moore, as we all would expect, these two men would have contacted her privately to apologize. She shared what she would have said. I knew what I was going to say when they contacted me, she tweeted, because it would have been completely sincere. I was going to say I knew it was like to let your mouth get away from you. I forgive you without hesitation, but that contact never came. Now, in 2016, Donald Trump was elected president of the United States, and churches in the SBC rallied behind him despite his troubled past with his treatment of women. In 2019, guess what? The SBC was caught in a sex abuse scandal involving uh, men abusing women. Now, you know this about Beth Moore. She is a survivor of sexual abuse. So you have the popularity of Donald Trump in the SBC and the rise of what she called Christian nationalism. In other words, that the church, particularly the SBC church, was putting their hope in Trump to save America rather than in Jesus Christ. And the attacks on her preaching in a church on a Sunday morning simply were too much for Beth Moore. And she then tweeted this in a tweet storm, that evangelical culture, this would be the culture of this church, demeans women, promotes sexism, and disregards accusations of sexual abuse enabled Trump's rise. Those are strong words. She eventually left uh, the SBC and then posted this on Twitter, let me be blunt. When you functionally treat complementarianism, and what is complementarianism? I'm asking a question because I'm not gonna answer it. What is complementarianism? Men lead and teach in the church. Those roles, those two specific roles, elders and pastors in the teaching on a Sunday morning, for example, is in the church is, is reserved for men. Okay? That's complementarianism. The fact that women can't do preach in churches, they've adopted what's called an egalitarian position. Okay? Now, that being said, she says, if you functionally treat complementarianism, a doctrine of man, and man is capitalized, M A N. As if it belongs among the matters of first importance. What does she mean by that? The matters of first importance are going to be justification by faith, the deity of Jesus Christ. She's saying that within the SBC, they've taken complementarianism and elevated to that level. Yea, as a litmus test for where one stands on inerrancy and authority of Scripture, you are the ones who have misused Scripture. You went too far. She also apologizes listen to this, for her past view on the matter. I beg your forgiveness where I was complicit in supporting complementarianism. I could not see it for what it was until 2016. I plead for your forgiveness for I just submitted to it and supported it and taught it. She now serves in an Anglican church. The problem with what she, she shouldn't have been attacked. That was wrong. She shouldn't have been ridiculed. That was wrong. Her response was wrong. Here's what happened. Some female historians said that these tweets were a decisive shift. Beth Allison Barr, a Baylor University historian, an author of The Making of Biblical Womanhood, How the Subjugation of Women Became Gospel Truth. In other words, this lady is accusing that in the evangelical church that we 
subjugate women, and it's now the gospel truth. That we demean you, denigrate you, we keep you down. That we don't value women. By the way, Beth Allison Barr is a wife of a former Southern Baptist Convention pastor, and clearly she has her issues with SBC. But see, she likened this tweet, now listen to this, to the biblical Joshua commanding the people to shout so the walls of Jericho fall down. This is what she cheated, what she tweeted. She just shouted, this is going to be the beginning of the end of complementarianism. In other words, it's the end of male rule in the church. In other words, it's the end of what God has ordained in the church. And I was very clear what the scriptures were, were crystal clear on it, and we'll get into a little bit more this morning. Okay, we went over that, those verses. Now Beth Moore did not agree with that statement and backed off on her apology. Consider herself what she considers a soft complementarianism. She's not a hard line, but she's more soft on it. The direct avenues where women could, could preach in like a, under male authority, for example, and so on and so forth. But she, Beth Moore should never have been attacked. That was wrong. And she should have kept her mouth shut. That's not a good look for the church. But there's a background that, again, that must be understood. I want you to get your Bibles out and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm going to have you stay there, and I'm going to read it while you find yourself there. Because we didn't go over this last week. We went over 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Now we'll get into that in a little bit later here, a few moments here. Just listen to this. We went over this verse last week. These are the two defining passages on this issue. Likewise, this is 1 Timothy 2, 9-15. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, in love, and holiness with self-control. Now, we went over that in-depth last week. I'm not going to go over it. I do want to give you the background to this, though. And you understand why Paul wrote what he wrote. Because if you don't understand the context, Paul's going to come across as a chauvinistic male. Paul was writing to Timothy at the church that's in Ephesus. The church of Ephesus was a Gentile church. Now, what does that mean? They're not, you're either Jew or everyone else is a Gentile. 
It's a Gentile church, so they don't have any of the, of the history of, of, of God and, and, and from the Jews and so on and so forth. And it's also, therefore, going to be have a, come from a Gentile culture. It was located in Asia Minor, which today we call Turkey. And women were ranked in this Gentile region very low. In fact, if you were to go to the Temple of Diana of the Ephesians of Ephesus, you would find hundreds and hundreds of priestesses. They're called Melissae, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-E, whose primary function was to act as prostitutes for the male worshipers. In other words, they were chattel. They were to be used and discarded. Now, we just um, read 1 Corinthians 14. 30, and here's the context here. Paul had the same problem at the church of Corinth. In the middle of Corinth was a temple to Aphrodite. A thousand priestess prostitutes with heads open and exposed and hair cut short, flaunting their sexuality, trying to lure men into sexual acts in the temple. That's what was going on in those two churches. Furthermore, both churches were from a Greek culture. Any respectable Greek woman who was not some kind of prostitute led a very confined life. She lived in her own quarters and to no one but her husband could enter. She had not even the privilege of appearing at the meal, thus she was invited to be there. She never at any time appeared on the street alone. She never went to any public assembly and still less did she ever speak or take any active part in any assembly. Did you know that that was the treatment of women at that time? Now you also had combined to that not only the Greek culture but the Jewish tradition at the time of our Lord, the time of Paul, that put women also in a low profile position. The mentality would basically to keep them ignorant, barefoot, and pregnant. Jewish men frankly did not feel that women were a part of the learning process necessarily. They didn't need to be taught. They were not forbidden to come to the synagogue. They would come. It's just immaterial whether they did or not. They could learn, but it was inconsequential whether they did. They were not required by the tradition to attend the feasts. They were required to attend the festivals. And most rabbis refused upon meeting a woman to give her any kind of greeting at all. The rabbis did not feel that they would waste their time instructing women. Some of the rabbis actually said that teaching women is like throwing pearls to pigs. So there was a very depreciated view as women's as a role as a learner in spiritual matters. They really had no significant place at all. They could listen, but it was all of little consequence whether they listened or whether they learned anything at all. Now you can understand that this kind of thing existed in the early church when Judaism, with its mentality, encroached upon the church. And no doubt in Ephesus, there was a certain amount of suppression of women due to Gentile and Jewish culture, and that culture was imposing its influence on the church. But guess what? Now along comes Paul, and he says, let the women what? Learn. Radical thought. And what learn there means, let them become disciples. And don't let the influence of Jewish culture or Greek culture, which diminishes and denigrates the role of women, 
hindered them from learning the truth of God. Again, this was revolutionary. And so you can understand when some of these women were converted to Christianity from Judaism, they began to express their newfound freedom in Christ. In some cases, these women, I would assume, were growing faster than their husbands. So they began to feel the surge of the desire of prominence and to get out from under this abusive kind of chauvinistic tradition that they have known, and they began to assert themselves. Why would they assert themselves? What did I say happened last week? Say it. I'm being quiet because I'm expecting you to answer. It's the curse, the desire to rule the husband. Now you add the fact that there are women from a sexual and moral Gentile culture who are coming into the church. They're flaunting their sexuality and their wealth, trying to entice and allure other men. Then there's also women that have a teaching gift. The Holy Spirit gives gifts to all people, men and women. And they're trying to surge into positions of leadership and teaching in the church. There are also women who flat out didn't want to submit to their husbands. And probably for good reasons, because the husband's not a good leader, for example. And they want to take authority in the relationship at home. And so all these factors were going on, and there was great danger in, in, in need of instruction for the church. Does that help you understand why Paul wrote what he wrote then? It was revolutionary at the time. From our perspective, it seems denigrating, but at the time, it was absolutely liberating for women. He elevated women to the position that they were always supposed to be in. Now, let's take a brief look at 1 Corinthians 14. You guys there, right? Okay. I won't. Since I'd already read it in the light of time, let me read it real quick. The women are to keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. Was it from you that the word that God first went forth, or has it come for you only? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he is not recognized. So what's going on in the Corinthian church? Well, basically, a couple of thoughts, first of all. Second, 1 Timothy 2, 9-15, Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, right? Now, some interpret that as saying that that's Paul's what? Opinion. In these verses... Paul no longer gives his opinion. It is the law. See verse 34? It's the law, meaning the Old Testament, meaning what happened in Genesis and so on. Verse 37, it's the Lord's commandment. Now this passage puts also a burden, and I don't want the husbands to miss this, on you. You see that? In other words, Ron, if you go home this afternoon and Diane has questions about this, you better be able to answer it as good as I can. How's that? Because that's what it says here, right? 
ask their own husbands at home. You need to know the word of God. It also uses strong language. I read from the New American Standard, which uses the word improper. It's actually translated shame or disgrace. So it's not improper, for it is improper for a woman to speak in church. It's a disgrace for a woman to speak in the church is what it means. This is a serious issue. How can churches, I mean, is this unclear? Is 1 Corinthians 14, 38, 34, 38 unclear on this issue? Again, when I'm silent and I, and I ask a question, it means I want you to answer. It's not unclear. It's, it's, it's combined with 1 Timothy 2, these are pretty clear, right? Well, the question becomes then, right? Well, how can churches have women preachers and pastors and, and serve as elders when the word of God is so crystal clear on this? Okay? Well, guess what? Paul anticipates how they could do that. And he uses sarcasm. Look at verse 36. Was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come from you only? This verse is saying, did you write the Bible? Was it from you that the word of God went forth? Are you the source of divine truth? Because if you defy this, again, the roles of women in the church, you're acting as if you are God and you have overruled the revelation of God because you have a higher authority. That's how important this is to God, to maintain the roles of male and female, the distinction between male and female. Okay? Therefore, it makes sense that what would Satan do? Attack this issue, for sure. Look at verse 36 again. Or has it come to you only? In other words, you've had a private revelation? Jesus told you to do this? I want you to see how Paul anticipates the only possible defense of women preachers are you have ideas that literally overrule God and, or you're getting private revelation from God. Verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment, but if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. Paul's saying, if you don't recognize what I've just written as the Lord's commandment, you are neither a preacher and you're neither spiritual. If you don't recognize the commands of God, we don't recognize you as a preacher or a spiritual person. Are you getting the sense that this is pretty serious for the church and for Paul? Mm-hmm. Okay, let me hear you. You guys awake, or are you just that scared to death of what I'm saying? Or okay, Paul is saying what he wrote is the Lord's command. You violate that command, and you're not a preacher. You're not spiritual. You're, in essence, a fraud. You're a false teacher, because the word of God is clear on this. Let me show you how clear it is. Go back three chapters. I think I did the math right in this one, Ron. 1 Corinthians 11. Look at 
Now, by the way, while you're, while you're going there, let me just share this with you. One of the reasons that I hear that um, people say this, that it's okay for a woman to preach in a church, like in a Sunday morning, for example, as long as the, she's under the authority of the elders and the pastor of the church. You ever heard that before? Okay. Well, let me ask you this then. If, I'm just, since, since my favorite person to make fun of is here, Ron, so I'm gonna make fun of Ron. What, Ron, let's say that you wanted to have an affair with another person in the church. You're married today and you want to have an affair. You came to me, and I said, as a pastor and an elder of this church, I give you permission to act that way and to do that, to commit adultery. Is that right? No. Why isn't it right? Because it's clear you do not commit adultery. Is it clear that women are not to preach? Then why do I keep hearing that? It's okay for a woman to preach under the authority of a male pastor or elder, as long as the church leadership recognizes it. What's the difference? Yes. A woman can lead a women's group. But I don't, we get in a little bit of those details. Sure, they can do it. They should do that. It's part of their ministry. But the the, the teaching and preaching on a Sunday morning, that type of a, of, of a context, because it's talking about the church. God has just reserved those for His reasons, for to men. There are plenty of other ministry opportunities we're getting to for women that are absolutely vital, okay? And we'll get into those in a moment here. But I just wanted to share that because I hear that an awful lot. What gives that church or those pastors or the leadership of the church the authority to, I mean, if, if this weren't clear, it'd be one thing. I mean, I, I don't see how it's, this isn't clear. Can I tell you what they use to do that? I know that stuff. I don't have time to get into that. Right, and we'll get into that. In that context, we'll get into that a little bit, okay? But you just can't do that. Either you're going to honor the word of God or you're not, okay? Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians 11. It's all about head coverings. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same as a woman whose head is shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off of her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For a man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Therefore, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Let me simplify this whole thing for you. The issue of head coverings in the church is nothing more than Paul pushing back against the culture of his time that was blurring the lines of distinction between the sexes. The same thing that we are having today in our culture. Okay? That's all he's saying here. He's saying keep these distinctions clear. And the distinctions are this. In the church and in society, but in the church, there is authority and submission. I said it. Every relationship that you have, it's authority and submission. Right? And just as a normal culture so clearly recognizes the differences between male and female, he's saying so should the church. 
But it's verse 10 that it's confusing I want to talk about. Look at that. Therefore, in this context of authority submission, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Because of the angels, what in the world does that mean? So I'm asking that question, I want you guys to answer it for me, because I don't know what the answer is. Well, the most holy and submissive creatures in the universe are angels, and they are under the authority of God. Exactly. They do everything that God tells them to do immediately. Now, angels are also called ministering spirits who serve the Lord constantly. Now, remember this in 1 Peter 12, 1 Peter 1, verse 12, that the angels look to the church to understand the miracle of salvation. So right now, in the unseen realm, angels are watching. Are you aware of that? Did you know that? They're watching. And they praise God, and the angels all rejoice when one person is saved. And they just are in awe of it, and they're wanting to learn more about it. Okay? So we know that the angels are watching. But what Paul is saying here is that when women... I want you to hear this, women, demonstrate their submission, particularly in the church, they put their obedience on display to that most submissive of all creatures, holy angels. Now listen to this. Furthermore, listen to Ephesians 3, 8 through 10. Paul writes this. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. And that mystery is, of course, what? The church. So that the, verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Well, who are the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? They're angels. So Paul is saying that the Lord is working his work in the church to put the church on display for the angels. And the angels expect to see in the church the Lord glorified. And how is the Lord glorified? Through authority and submission particularly women, under authority and submitting. And I think, well, how disappointing it must be for angels to look down and see these rebellious women trying to usurp male leadership in their preaching roles and overpowering their husbands. And I want you to see it. This is a, a serious issue in the mind of the Lord. That women, you're being watched. Stay in that role that God has created for you. Husbands, stay in your role. And we need to know the mind of the Lord on this matter. And what is the mind of the Lord? Well, you know, there are invaluable women's ministries. I want to spend some time on this. I mean, if you hold to the position that women are not to preach or teach in the church, how can a woman use the gifts God has given her in service of the Lord. Well, the scriptures are clear. Women have a vital place in the life of the church. They're indispensable to the ministry of the church, and they're even exalted in their role in the church. The women, as Paul said, they must be taught and learn God's truth, and it was radical and revolutionary. It's essential to their spiritual life 
It's essential to their role in the plan of God. The phrase, let the woman learn, is where we find the equality of the sexes in spiritual life and blessing. Because men learn too. We all learn because we're all equal, right? We're all equal. But we have different roles. This was true in the Old Testament, folks. In spite of the Jewish tradition I just read to you, the Old Testament did not teach the suppression of women in spiritual matters. It didn't teach that. The Old Testament elevated women alongside men in an equal position of spiritual life and blessing. For example, in Exodus 19 and 20, what did God do? He gave the law, the Ten Commandments. Who did he give it to? Men and women. Right? Men and women. God promised to men and women both blessing and curses depending upon their behavior. Deuteronomy 6, you have the instruction that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Who heard that? Men and women. And the families were to, be, uh, to teach this to their children. Both fathers and mothers teach their children to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is an absolutely vital, vital ministry that is primary, I believe, falls upon the women because you're with the child during the formative years. In Exodus 12, when God ordained the Passover, the, greatest, the single greatest celebration in the calendar of the year for the Jews, it was for both men and women. Both of them were to be involved not only in respectable biblical behavior, but also uh, responsible to be engaged in the praise and worship festivals of the people. Further, throughout the Old Testament, penalties are given for sin equally to all people, men and women, implying God valued the life of a man and the life of a woman. A woman is equal in value, but also, women, you're equal in responsibility to the Lord. Amen to that? Guys, notice I didn't get a hearty amen from the women there in that one. Listen to this. In the Old Testament, the single greatest spiritual vow one could make was a Nazarite vow. Remember that? The Nazarite vow. A vow of separation from the world to God. That vow belonged not just to men, but also to women. You can find that in number 6.2. In Proverbs 6.20, you find the instruction to children to keep the Father's commandments and the teachings of the mother. Did you know that? Furthermore, in the Old Testament, we see that there is equally between the sexes in regards to God's dealing with women. Did God avoid dealing directly with women? Well, no. He didn't always go through men every time he wanted to communicate with a woman. In Genesis, he appeared to Eve, to Hagar, and to Sarah. In Judges, he appeared to the mother of Samson. I mean, God had personal intimate contact with individual women. We see the equality of sexes in the fact that men and women both served God in very special ways. A choir is described in Nehemiah 7.67. It's made up of 245 singing men and women. They had, women had their part in the worship of the temple. In the tabernacle ministry in Exodus 38.8, it says that there are women who served at the door. I don't, perhaps they were a welcoming committee. We're not sure, but they served the purposes of God in the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy 12, verses 10 through 12, in 2 Samuel 6, 1 Samuel 1, and many other scriptures, 
women shared in the great national convocations of Israel. Folks, this is all by God's design. In Psalm 68, 11, we read that a great host of women were doing evangelism, proclaiming the great tidings of God. In the New Testament, we find in Romans chapter 16, 2, about women ministering to the saints. Speaking of Phoebe, Paul says, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a minister or a servant of the church at Centria. In 1 Timothy 3.11, we learn about deaconesses, a group of women approved of and set aside for spiritual service within the church. Further on in the word of God, in that same letter in 1 Timothy chapter 5, read about widows. There are groups of widows over 60 years of age who because they had washed the saints' feet and because they had been hospitable and because they had done good works and had approached themselves, had approved themselves spiritually in the eyes of the church community, they were added to a list of such widows to be used in ministry to others within the church. It's always been a vital part of the church, both in evangelism and in the ministry of the saints to one another, that women be involved. Immediately after our Lord's ascension, women gathered along with the apostles and disciples in the upper room. And as such, were involved in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of the speaking in tongues and the declaration of the wonderful works of God. And so they were used in a proclaiming ministry. In Acts chapter 5, verse 14, in response to the teaching of the Word of God, it says, And multitudes were added to the church, both men and women. Women are vitally connected to the life of the church. They are gifted to the Holy Spirit with the spiritual gifts, as well as men are, to be used in the body of Christ for the ongoing life and maturity of the saints. One of the earliest converts, Mary, the mother of John Mark, gave her house as the meeting place for the saints in Jerusalem. Lydia, whom our daughter Lydia is named after, another lady who lived in Philippi, also opened her home in the same fashion. And so there was hospitality that was granted through the ministry of women. In the last chapter of Romans, where Paul names 26 individuals who are singled out for very significant service to Christ, eight of them are honored women. And so women have always had a vital place in the life of the church. In Acts 21, read that the daughters of Philip were used to prophesy. In Acts 18, here we go, we read that Aquila and his wife Priscilla were used to instruct Apollos more perfectly in the knowledge of the Lord. What they think is that he took him aside in a home setting and both the husband and wife taught Apollos. Apollos became a mighty teacher in the New Testament, but he learned at first under what? A husband and a, a wife, a woman. In Titus 2, 3-5, older women are to instruct younger women in the matters of life. Yeah, even though there is a spiritual equality, an equality in personhood, there's a difference in roles that God has divinely ordained to men and women. And God is careful to maintain this difference and this distinction both in the church and in the home and in society in general. And as you know, these last few weeks, months or so, that is under attack the role of defining masculinity, femininity, marriage, family. That whole thing is under attack. Now, I just gave you all of these instances from the Bible or the viable ministries of women. 
And the reason why there are roles between men and women in the church and in a marriage, Christian marriage, but in the church is why? Why? God decreed it. Yep, it's his hierarchy. It's God, man, woman, animal kingdom. It was that that was attacked in the garden, but I ain't going to change God's mind, or his, his order. This is the way it is. Again, women, you are equal in responsibility. You are co-heirs with, with men. We are all equal. The husband and wife are equal. The wife just has to choose to submit to her husband based upon the divine design laid out in Genesis as a creation. It's not a matter of gifting. It's not a matter of whether you're smarter or not. You're, you're, you're not lesser. You're equal. God has designed these roles. You're going to honor God or you're not. Now, let me give you some contemporary examples. I've done all the Old Testament, New Testament. Let me give you some more recent examples. Um, with two stories of women who lived uh, this complementarian lifestyle out. Does everybody recognize the name Harriet Beecher Stowe? A great American novelist. You know, she was one of 13 children. The oldest member of the family was Catherine Beecher, uh, her sister. Catherine Beecher particularly grew up having a natural love for children. When she was 16, Catherine's mother died, and she was left to mother the eight other little children at the time. Now, her mother had been very skilled in domestic handcraft and spent a great amount of time teaching Catherine how to take care of the home. And so she was quite good at it, by the age of 16. Into the home came an aunt, and the aunt was to be a replacement for a mother, and the aunt was remarkable for her neatness and her order and her ability to deal with things on an economical basis. Later on, she was replaced by a stepmother who was expert in all matters of administration in the home. Under them all, Catherine Beecher Experience in the tutelage of these women, by the age of 23, had learned all that there was to be learned about domestic life and decided that the state of women in the United States was so severe. Catch this. It was so severe that she needed to do something very dramatic to train women for domestic responsibility. So she founded the Hartford Female Seminary. Do you know that? Along with Harriet Beecher Stowe, they founded the Hartford Female Seminary, the design of which was to train women to be lovers of their husbands, lovers of their children, and keepers at home. She and her sister, Harriet Beecher Stowe, not only founded the Hartford Women's Seminary, but a couple years later, they founded the same thing in Cincinnati, Ohio, with the view to training women for domestic responsibility. At the same time, around 1869, they wrote a book entitled The American Woman's Home. In this book, you will find this. Women's Calling embraces the care and nursing of babies in those critical periods of infancy and sickness. The training of the minds of children in the most impressionable years of life, childhood. It involves the matter of meeting the needs of her husband so that his life is enriched and his home is a haven. It involves the responsibilities of the economy of the house for the benefit of the family and all others who grace it. These duties are as sacred and demanding as any given to man. 
Yet where is her preparation and what body certifies her as duly prepared to give the best to her calling? Folks, that is absolutely foreign to today's culture. As a result of that desire to give women uh, training so that they could be capable at their domestic responsibility, they founded the two seminaries and they wrote this as the seminary's purpose. The purpose is to teach women how not only to perform in the most improved manner all the manual employments of domestic life, but to honor and enjoy them. Now, can you imagine two women starting a seminary with that purpose today? Or consider Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot, most of us know, was the wife of Jim Elliot, the missionary who died trying to reach the Aka people uh, with the gospel. She herself uh, was a marvelous instrument of God in the expansion of the kingdom. After the massacre of her husband and several other missionaries in Ecuador, guess what? She was the only trained biblical, biblically trained person left who could speak the Aka language. But so convinced was Elizabeth Elliot in her heart that she could not violate the word of God that she took one of the Auckland men and weakly, weakly taught that man a sermon so he could preach it in the church on the Lord's day. Much like Aquila and Priscilla, she would not step up to the preaching, but she did not mind instructing the preacher. And today... I dare say that most, if not all women, would have just bypassed the man and gone to violate the clear teaching of the word of God. And I could go on. What about Nancy Lee DeMoss? I heard she, she spoke at a campus crusade. Uh, she has a, a ministry called Reviver Hearts where she teaches these things and amongst other things to women. And they're always under the authority of men. They have John Piper, other pastors there over them. Maybe they, they may lead the first session, but then the rest of it's for women because it's for, designed for women, and it's women teaching women, which is completely biblical. There's nothing wrong with a woman using her gift in that way. She should. Women need that. All the women that are here, what would it have been like if your mother or you had some place to teach you how to be a mother, how to take care of the home, how to do all the responsibilities that come with raising children? Would you have liked that? That has always been God's design. The older women are supposed to teach the younger women. So, what I want you to do today, what's the application point? What's well, pretty simple? Live out your God-ordained roles. And whoever said to me, do I need someone to walk me to my car? I hope I'm in a little better position with women. <laughs> you are valuable, absolutely valuable. You're equal. You just have by God's decree a, a different role and we need you you know and by the way i didn't even mention do you remember the story of david and abigail in the bible abigail's married to i forget the name of the man off the top of my head but he was an evil man and, and was a man of integrity and david was going to kill him because he offended david abigail steps in and prevents david from sinning and killing this man so here we have a, 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 a king to be taking instruction from a woman how many untold stories could we tell of women advising men in some leadership position and the men taking that, person, that woman's advice? Huh? Quite a few. 
Let's pray. Father, as we close with a song this morning, we thank you. We thank you for the clarity of your word. It is not confusing. We just don't want to submit to it. Lord, may we be faithful to what is the clear teaching of Scripture and honor you in that. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.